Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So this week, Andrew is away in Ireland and we have Ian Webster presenting the market report for week commencing 4th of February 2019. I've got to say, it's flat markets. Most of the interest has been uh, linked to political events that have occurred, but I'll, um, I'll kind of follow that on as, as we go through each commodity. So uh, starting with wheat, got to say, you had track sideways, old crop and new crop, very limited volatility. Sadly, uh, old crop values are south of £170 a tonne for May, unfortunately, which I know is obviously a trigger price for a lot of you farmers. And on a new crop, it's there, 147, £148, so under the £150 a tonne mark, again, which is disappointing. There has been some uh, sort of movement on the international scene. You've seen uh, there was a big uh, Egyptian, or a reasonable sized Egyptian tender of 360,000 tonnes. Unusually, well, this is a, hopefully this is a bullish point, but is um, it was split between Romanian and French origins, so the Russians are off the pitch on this one. So hopefully, I mean, is this a sign that the Russians are um, are running out? That will be uh, one to watch over the coming weeks. Further field, I mean, it's been documented in the press. We got the uh, the polar vortex, which is sweeping over the states, minus thirty degrees. I think I'm probably clutching on straws here, but is, there's snow cover so i can't see it yet as a bullish story but it's it's one one to watch certainly next one this is like i mentioned earlier a political event the u.s been trading blind for well since the 19th of december with the government shutdown he's uh, donald trump's finally sort of uh, had a ceasefire temporary ceasefire and uh, the usda as a result are now back at work and will uh, be catching up with the reports so so we'll get some accurate figures over the coming weeks and um, which might give us a sense of direction and we'll see how much uh, business has been done with the Chinese and then if we look close to home obviously none of us have missed this but we've had the votes on uh, Tuesday evening as a result we saw the pounds lost two percent in value went from 116 to 114 for myself personally, although the MPs aren't saying this, it feels like we're getting closer to um, a no-deal Brexit, my own personal opinion. It certainly concerns myself because you're then looking at what are the tariff implications, where does currency go from there. But uh, yeah, we sideways, unfortunately, so nothing um, new and uh, of interest. So I'll move on to malting barley. I think Ollie last week referred to it as being limp. I think he'd probably say it's an, an even limper scale of limp this week very quiet tradism and molsters are keeping very low profile brexit uncertainty is is the buzzword still very few bids in the market i think and again listening to what andrew's comments were last week there are still a few shorts in the trade but it's very difficult to place and and unless you're sitting on some some low-end or low-nitrogen distilling barley I i think it's a very difficult market to trade Feed barley, and this has, has been a very difficult crop. The discount against wheat still keeps widening. I'd like to think this has a turnaround moment, but it's it's really in the doldrums. But one, yeah, one to watch. Bit of hope for uh, feed barley, hopefully. Last one, not least, 
Rapeseed. So, again, another political event. The China trade talks with the US have developed. Rather than a bit of fake news coming from Donald Trump in one of his tweets, the Chinese have come out here and, and have said they will look to buy 5 million tonnes of uh, US origin beans, which, great. I mean, the instant reaction I've just seen this morning has been a, a nine-cent rally in the States, which is helpful. Not not a big move, but it's it's certainly helpful, which should, should lend support for rapeseed. We're, we're currently looking at values... On the old crop, about 320. New crop values holding their own at 310. Still good demand for veg oils on the continent. The, the real hope for rapeseed is the weak sterling. There, there aren't tariff implications on rapeseed. So I'd, I'd still like to think there's some bullish hope. And it, it certainly it feels like the, um, well, the most supported of the, um, the grains complex. The real supportive factor of the rapeseed market is the new crop scenario. It's, it's still widely reported that there are problems with new crop. The latest estimated figure for new crop production is about 18.7 million tonnes, mainly down to, and it's, I'm sure it's been mentioned in previous reports, is uh, lower planting figures in France and Germany. That will certainly keep a very strong leg of support underneath the old crop price, and, and I, I think it will, will remain to stay firm uh, with the new crop values. But fingers crossed for, particularly for rapeseed, is um, looking for a weak currency there. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage, through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare support team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. This week, Claire went to Norfolk Bluebell Wood Burial Park to meet owner and manager Andrew Morton. So maybe if you can just introduce yourself, Andrew, and tell me um, about your business. Okay, my name is Andrew Morton. I own and operate uh, Norfolk Bluebell Wood Burial Park. And when did you start doing this? We opened the gate uh, 7th of December 2015. So we have been here uh, with the gate open, so to speak, (laughs) for about just over three years. So tell me about the business, kind of, I mean, what's sort of unique about it and why why did you set it up? Okay, so we, we, well, we bought the land as a family. The Morton family bought the land in 2008 because we're farmers and uh, we bought it with this lovely bluebell wood behind us, which has got millions and millions of bluebells. Uh, and I thought it'd be nice to open it up to the public. So I then stumbled across a place called Colney Wood, which is another woodland burial park in Norfolk. And I thought, this is what we need to do here. So that's how it all came about. It was a um, a series of accidents, as quite often these things are. But um, I'm very pleased with it to date. So you didn't grow up thinking you were going to have a burial park? <laughs> <laughs> no, I certainly didn't. <laughs> And so had you previously been farming, like the actual farm, or what was your role before this? Yeah, I had, yeah, we had. um, And we're still farmers, so we still own and operate uh, a farm. Um, I'm very lucky, I have a very good member of staff on the farm, and uh, he's very good. 
So that gives me time to pursue other activities. Um, and without that, we wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting here today because I wouldn't have the time. But uh, and so, did you do a lot of research coming up with how to make this work? Like, is it because I'm I'm not sure that's that common a diversification for a farmer. Like, <laughs> maybe no, it is. no, you're right. It's not a very common thing to get into. I mean, there's only two in Norfolk. We're one of them. Uh, yes, I did a massive amount of research. Actually, I went. Uh, I got a. Um, I got sponsored um, to go and uh, look at natural burial up and down the country. So I looked at about uh, 15 or 20 other sites, uh, locations in in the UK. I also went to Scotland um, and I also went to Holland. So I did did a very large amount of research. Uh, I saw everything from people with a sort of gate that opens into a muddy field and people that opened the gate into... Uh, you know, amazing um, buildings and uh, ceremonial halls and, and, and music uh, venues, if you like, that, that we have here. And I'm guessing that you can't set a place like this up overnight. The kind of, I mean, you had the wood already, but you, you've had to kind of cultivate the other land areas. Like, tell me about those and how long they've taken to sort of, or how long they will take to establish. Yeah, well, first of all, we obviously had to get planning permission and uh, planning permission is always uh, difficult. And it, and it was no exception in our case, so it's exceptionally challenging just to get planning permission. Um, but then we, we had the lovely bluebell wood anyway, um, so we've had to manage that accordingly. We planted 4,800 trees in commemoration of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, which is a lovely thing to do. And we, I actually went to Burley House and met the Princess Royal because of it. Wow. So that's through the Woodland Trust. Um, and we've we've planted uh, we've drilled um, wildflower um, meadows, so we've got a lovely mix of habitats and and yeah and we put it in a hedge. We, we, basically, this was just a field, so there was nothing here, nothing. It was just a field, a stubble field. So we put in all the infrastructure, the the electric, the water, the ground source heat pump, the the sewage system, everything, everything. So this is a, a major undertaking, uh, and. Uh, like I say, we're three years um, into being open now, and yeah, we're very happy with what we've achieved in in quite a short time frame. Do you feel like a huge responsibility when you take it on? Because obviously, you're taking on kind of the care of those those people, aren't you? In a way, like yeah, I, I wear that lightly, though. Thankfully, right. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'd sleep at night sometimes, but. Um, I, you know, I think it's all about the people. I found this with the farm and, and everything else that I've ever done. It's all about the people you employ. So, you know, it's a team effort. Yeah, yeah. very much so. And so I think you work with your wife on quite a lot of it, Caroline, don't you? Or tell me about how that, how that dynamic uh, yeah, that's works. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that dynamic, yeah, that's, that can be an interesting one. But Caroline's very laid back, so that's always a good start. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Caroline has, has worked in... Uh, she was commercial surveyor, then she worked for Cruise Bereavement Care. So this is quite a natural fit, what she does here. She's part-time here, looking after, trying to promote us with events coordinating the business trying to get some structures in place to make us a bit more robust uh, and also the marketing side and trying to get like I say the awareness out there which is really important to us because if people don't know about about us then they, they you know that's that's not that's not going to be helpful for them or us because we're we sit in a beautiful environment so um and what have you found marketing-wise has been the most effective? Like, what, what do you use? Um, I'm not sure I know the answer to that one. <laughs> I think it's just 
getting the name out. You know, I'm, I'm now in the process of seeing all the funeral directors again. I've been to see them all once and going around and seeing them again. I think all I would say is when people come through the gate, everyone loves it. They, we've had so many compliments from, from everyone. Um, and uh, that, that has been consistent. It, it's just getting people to know that we're here, what we provide for them at their time of need. So as for what is the best way for marketing, I think it's probably spreading it thinly over several areas, if I'm honest, from the EDP. We've got advert uh, in the EDP, Facebook page and website. Uh, we do events. Um, we support charities. Um, we're linked in with Elsham in Bloom. So I think it is just spreading it thinly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, getting the word out there. That it's a beautiful place. Would you say that you're getting a good return for the land and investment that you've put in so far, or if you don't mind me asking? Uh, no, I don't mind you asking. I, I think uh, I, I look at it uh, maybe differently to, to some other people and, and maybe similar to others. And as much as a return on investment is, is more than money, um, so are we doing good things for the families and the people that visit us? Yes, we are. I'm very happy with that. And, and are we doing good things for the environment and the wildlife? Yes, we are. We, we planted 4,800 trees. Are we making a sensible financial return? Uh, if I'm honest at this moment in time, we're three years in. No, we're not. <laughs> but this is a long term uh, venture and, and it for me it's always been had to be three ways sustainable so it's got to be socially for the families environmentally and financially if you get those three aligned then this um, will be fine but I do believe you have to get them all aligned they all look after you or they all look after one another yeah and I think it's one of those places where it kind of as the kind of it's almost like as the the plants grow the kind of business grows as it were i, I, I think imagine. that's probably right that's yeah. absolutely true i mean we've certainly since we opened the cedar hall that we're sitting in now we've certainly seen more um uplift in in people that have have uh, decided to to uh, come to the burial park and and lay their loved ones to rest um uh, and that we expected. It's a beautiful cedar hall we're sitting in. It's eight-sided. It seats 120 and stands 80. It's got a dedicated music room. Uh, it's got a disabled loo, a very posh disabled loo. The poshest seen. one I've ever seen, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> it's got a little <laughs> kitchenette for teas and coffees. We're it's... just passing and you need the loo. I don't... No, <laughs> absolutely, <I'm joking. laughs> absolutely. Pop in, pop in. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're noticing now we have a fully bespoke burial park with everything that you would require that um, consequently more people are deciding to use Yeah, us. I mean, you've got a real heart of the place now with this hall, haven't you? Whereas I can imagine before it might have felt a bit more like a, you know, a field and a wood and what have you, whereas now it's like... Yeah, absolutely right. Total, this is the, that, you know, yeah, the Cedar Hall is the heart it's got the whole of, thing. of the burial park. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. And the reality, I suppose, is that you're dealing with grief-stricken people every day. Like, is that very much your part of the job or do you have other people that are like you know sort of planning the funerals or where what's your role and what are other people's roles yeah well that's uh, that's an interesting point actually because I, I took the decision last year um probably in about march time that we need to specialize a bit more our team in certain areas i want everyone to be a good communicator that is key mm. um and we all are very good communicators but I've decided that, that my role, and it always has been from the start, but obviously when you start something, you end up doing everything to start with, yep. which is the, the right way and, and the only way. But, but now I see my role as more um, 
developing the burial park, getting the awareness out there. Uh, I go and do talks to people. I go and see the funeral directors. Um, I'm keen to do a lot more talks, so if anyone's interested, please contact me. <laughs> um, and m- more strategic, looking down. Um, last year was exceptionally busy uh, on every level, but I actually project managed this ceremonial hall that we're sitting in, so as well as doing that and trying to oversee the burial park and the farm business, family farm business, that was a... That, that that's a year that I, I can't do every year because I haven't got the capacity mentally to do it quite right. honestly yeah so you built this cedar hall recently was it tricky to decide on the size and location it was it was difficult to, to decide how to shape the rooms how big the rooms should be what capacity of seating we should have uh, we probably rejigged the f- plan. I was going to say 10 times. I think I might be wrong, more like 15 or 20, I wow. should think. <laughs> so we you, we redrew and redrew and redrew until we were happy. And I have to say, as we are today, I wouldn't have changed anything. So I'm really pleased with the end result because I do believe we got the proportions of the rooms right and everything, uh, which is good. Yeah, it has a great feel to it and a lovely outlook. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Those thank you. Glass. Yeah, it's got a lovely panoramic view out of the yeah. massive amount of windows that we have around the place. That's so uplifting at a, you know, a funeral, isn't it? It's just yeah, like that's kind of what you want. You feel to like you're connected to nature. Yeah, yeah. Which is what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so, yeah, what sort of feedback have you had from, like, people who've used the place? Like, what is it that people um, are kind of enjoying about it? I think uh, the, the biggest feedback comes for our team, which is nice, because it is all about the people. Um, uh, you know, Matthew and Holly we're all very good communicators I've said communication several times in this conversation but it is important uh, very important um, and we take time for people and we, we get we do literally get loads of testimonials and letters and cards and that's oh, nice that's lovely. Yeah. I noticed you even can like sponsor a bat box here like. <laughs> that's right. or a bird box or a bird box <laughs> Like, are you trying to encourage like a, like a real kind of wildlife haven, as it were? Then definitely, yeah. I mean, the wildlife in the countryside is important to me. I couldn't do this burial park any other way. Uh, we don't have gravestones, you know. We have oak memorial plaques, and uh, yeah, I, I love the countryside. I like the great outdoors. I like the wildlife, and it's interesting since we've opened that a lot more people through the mental health charities that are saying and I think it's obvious to us that live in the countryside and embrace it that that it is good for your health uh, you know physically mentally and emotionally so we've got lovely winding pathways around the burial park we have people come and walk their dogs uh, and that's really important to me oh well thank you very much for talking to me Andrew and uh, yeah we uh, we hope that people will come and have a look because it's really worth like visiting isn't it thank you very much thanks Claire thanks for coming to chat to me thanks for your time cheers And now it's time for Farm Chat, recorded before Andrew left for the Dublin dinner. So uh, we're back here again, Andrew. So sampling our first beer out the back end of dry January. You've got the Dublin dinner in a day or two's time, so I thought I'd start the ball rolling and um, whet your appetite for a pint of Guinness. So we've got Guinness to start the day. Okay, well, let's let's have a little sip of the old uh, black stuff. It's always a favourite of mine, actually, Guinness. I do like a pint. Yeah, but it's kind of... 
Not, it's all right, isn't it? But it's, it, it tastes fantastic in Dublin. Not like the amber nectar from the home country. No, no, but, you know, the first one, all right, that tastes good. The second one tastes better. The third one tastes better. Then you realise you're getting fatter and fatter by the minute, and it just tastes better and better. <laughs> and you talk more and more sense. Whilst um, showing off your footy skills, as, as you've already talked about a week or two ago, because you have your annual football yeah, game, don't you? I've been selected. I've yeah. picked myself. I'm hoping just to be able to survive. As you know, a major injury scare for Bobby Charlton, a calf injury. <laughs> so the old side might struggle. But yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. I'll certainly, after the match, go to the pub and uh, do the traditional Irish dinner thing. Um, <clears throat> talking about dinners, I mean, we, we've just we were going to reflect on the Norfolk dinner. The mood of that dinner was pretty flat, wasn't it? It was straight, really subdued. I think it was uh, mixed. I mean, we had all the news coming out, the um, the Fangrain News and Frontier News that we spoke about the other week. And um, Yeah, I got in a spot of bother on Let's just touch on that. I didn't refer to them as Frontier. I called them, and I called them the, the, you know, another mm. name. And uh, and it, I think it touched a nerve. It ruffled a feather, didn't I it? I think I did yeah. say that, in fact, it was a good thing and a bad thing. So I kind of... You know, I highlighted the fact that there was a lot of debt paid off by the mm. aforementioned. So we, we need to find a better name. Um, so it, could we have some suggestions, perhaps, of the name we can use for... for I like uh, that. It's a good idea. Check it on our Twitter profile and um, come up with some ideas. Yeah, or, or, or we could just say those who cannot be named. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a bit of a compliment, actually, Andrew. I mean, you've got a senior guy up front here listening to our podcast. So, yeah, I like that. Well, I, I, kudos. I think Lockie was just grumpy yesterday and he didn't really mean it. But um, we love you, Lockie. Really, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so go, going back to the dinner, it sounded like we're perfect profits here, Andrew, because we were talking about consolidation. We talked about the Frontier Fangrain move. The morning before the dinner, there was another, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a merger, but there was another trade movement um, in where ADM bought the other half of Gledels, didn't they? Yeah. Well, they owned half of the shares anyway. And it's kind of an obvious thing. If, if somebody has one and a half companies doing the same thing in a country, it's, it's kind of not the most unexpected move. But it means that ADM Direct and Gledels have merged. Mm. So two becomes one. Mm. So in, in a space of six days, two merchants have disappeared off the pitch. Again, yeah, the consolidation of the trade. No, it, was, it was interesting. There was a lot of chatter about it. Um, the guy, uh, Fengrain, who uh, turned up to the dinner, was mightily relieved, I think, the fact that the uh, the heat was off him. Yeah, this, it wasn't just him, was it? It wasn't just him, yeah. I mean, the, the, the ADM move is yeah, it's enormous. Well, the, f- the funny thing is that the, I mean, just as an aside, several of our farmers hadn't heard of ADM. I'm sorry to shock you, ADM guys, but they said... Who are they? Mm. Yeah, it, it's ADM are the second biggest, I think, uh, commodity mm. trading business after Cargill, which is obviously part of the frontier. Oh, you've got the ABCDs, um, ADM, Bungie, Cargill and Dreyfus, is it? It was, is it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dreyfus is still there somewhere, but not, not anywhere near agriculture in the UK. No, the, the dynamic is that we've, you know, we were running on a couple of weeks ago about this, but the biggest impact, I think, at first is going to be on the flour millers who've lost the opportunity to get two quotes when they're asking for milling wheat supply, and certainly Vengrain were very prominent in offering milling wheat to millers and, yeah. and taking away a lot of their risk, really, in just supplying them. And certainly, you know, the, the ADM and Gledel mix and the Frontier Direct, um, they're going to be a little bit harder to alter price or, or, or quote, lower. So I, I, it's, it's bad for consumers... You know, I, I saw George Mason at the uh, at the Norfolk oh, dinner, yeah. and he said, have, "Have I got to be nice to you?" 
No. And I, and I said, you haven't got to change a habit of a lifetime, George. <laughs> and I said, no, I'll still, still tell Norfolk growers not to bother not with milling week because it's too far to travel. But, yeah, I don't know. It, who, who knows what's next? It's, it opens up an area um, to the west of us that is very sparse of competition for people to buy grain. Um, Cambridge here had four merchants two years ago, and now it's got one, which is Frederick Smart. Yeah. Um, technically, yeah. Fengrain is still physically there, but the trading office, we assume, will move we'll move, move yeah. elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, does it count as an individual at that point, or just part of the we big group? We see how it all pans out, and and how the where the offices move, or or um, yeah, where where offices or businesses are based from. So. Yeah. Well, and, and until the traders of, of each, you know, the, the ADM, Gledel and um, the Fengrain officers know whether they're to be kept or not. I mean, I would guess in the bulk of the, the Gledel guys who are in Norfolk will stay because there's, you know, they've got a customer base. They're not really encroached upon by ADM. They're not that prominent over here. Will it strengthen them or will it weaken them? I, I think it will probably strengthen them. And I would, if I was them, I would stay in the county. But, you know, if you want to help, help little old doing grain get a little uh, little more of a foothold than you bugger off to Lincolnshire but I suspect you're going to stay and yeah. uh, I think that from a commercial perspective is makes it? sense yeah I'd, yeah I'd agree with that we need people mm. to trade with it I mean yeah. sometimes just relying on farmers to get supply you know you, you, the, sometimes the door is shut and you need to have traders yeah. who you can work with and we we do work very closely mm. with some of our other merchants at times mm. filling their boats swapping fixings and yeah. and helping each other so it's it's not a war out out there it's there's yeah, some friendship well, yeah. isn't it yeah like but like I say it's one um, sort of ally disappearing in isn't it it's uh, mm. fewer people people there to partake in the trade so do you think there'll be any new independents springing up Oh, I'd love to say that's always a bit of a sort of um, an ideal scenario, isn't it? You kind of look at the, the future of the industry, but it's, it's a very difficult um, industry to to crack into, I think, from fresh. Webster Grain. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I need a bigger checkbook than I've got at the moment, I'm afraid, Andrew. But, um, Specialising uh, in what? Mm. Well, I did, I did ju- sort of uh, off-the-cuff comments. I mean, if you, if you had a spare, you know, five million quid to pump into the grain trade start from fresh and get a load of traders a load of farm buyers i think it's a massive opportunity but would you put five million to quit into the grain trade now probably not no i mean i i right now it, the the prospects look looks I mean, even though there's less people to compete with it looks really quite a daunting place i mean mm. the, the margins are miserable the, the farmers are, are more acutely aware of, of where they can get prices mm. um so they're basically going to keep cutting Cutting out margin, I suppose. Uh, in the end, it will count against them. But I, I, it's yeah, this is a this is a tough time, mm. and of course we don't know what's going to happen next. Whether we can export, whether we're going to be tied to UK consumption only. Yeah. If that's the yeah. case, then the bigger companies who own consumption could easily kind of cut everybody else out. So yeah, we're we're worried. We're we're going to have a good year this year, but we're worried, don't we? Mm. So come on, farmers. <laughs> I'm going to take up busking. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so so Norfolk dinner, mood was flat. The comedian tried his hardest to get a laugh. No one was in the mood for that. It ended, you know, with most people kind of in that end bar. There would seem to be less people about than normal. I mean, the main benefit for me of being a host is the fact I stayed sober and I kept everybody kind of like made sure they were okay. But 
it, it wasn't overwhelming. I, happy, I was, was impressed. I mean, you upheld your dry January a lot better than I did because I, I had a pint been... with um, yeah. with with Will Foot before, and the beer was so disgusting in that hotel that <laughs> it was. I, I it tasted like soap. So I that was it. And as far as it goes, Norfolk dinner is going to change venue. We, we we're going to work with Julian, or we're going to take it over. We're going to we're going to rub that dinner and make it a little bit more lively. Change the venue. Show people that Norwich isn't just a horrible hotel with carpets that are thirty years old and just Christmas decorations for still up as well, weren't they? Apparently, <laughs> it was. It was such a. It was that was a bad venue. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shake it up. Yeah, largely it was uh, it was an okay night. So here's the next year being at somewhere like Delia's or in the open or somewhere with a little bit of life and uh, yeah, showing people that Norwich even in January isn't isn't that bad a place to go and spend your time. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk. Or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.